Hey, this is Dr. Cree. I am a board-certified family medicine physician, and I'm the owner of Brownstone Healthcare, where our mission is to take care of the everyday person who's overwhelmed and overworked and looking to live a healthy, happy, and whole life. We have a direct primary care service where you can pay $70 a month to have all access to meet your physician, have discounted labs, and imaging if needed. So you'd pay the $70 a month, no matter if you're insured, underinsured, or have no insurance at all. Call us at 205-202-5650 or go ahead on the roll today at www.brownstonehealthcare.com. Y'all ready? Yep. How do you put a baby astronaut to sleep? How? You rock it. <laughs> <laughs> My turn. Did you know that ants never get sick? No. It's because they have little antibodies. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Counselor Latanya A. Tate, what does A stand for? Ann. Ann <laughs> grew up in North Birmingham, where she currently resides. Her father, the late Clifford Hatcher, a native of Collegeville, was a retired cabinet maker in Oxnard, California, and her mother, Barbara J. Tate, worked and retired from the U.S. Postal Service. Counselor Tate was educated in the Birmingham school system. She attended MacArthur Elementary and graduated from John Herbert Phillips High School. She graduated from the Bevel State Community College LPN program and from the University of Phoenix, where she obtained her bachelor's and master's in criminal justice administration and security. She also holds a master's degree in public administration from Grand Canyon University. Counselor Tate worked in healthcare industries for over 15 years in Jefferson County. She also served as the probation and parole officer for nearly a decade with the Florida Department of Corrections before retiring in 2014. In 2018, Counselor Tate founded the Alabama Justice Initiative, a nonprofit social justice organization that works in criminal justice reform and policy initiatives. In addition to her busy schedule, Counselor Tate is an active member of many social justice organizations, including Alabamians for Fair Justice and Alabama Forward. In 2020, she graduated from Emerge Alabama an organization that trains progressive Democrat women to run for office. She is also a graduate of the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. Counselor Tate is the mother of one son, Tadarius A. Tate, and the grandmother of Camille Gabrielle. She is a member of, what's the name of your church? The Movement Fellowship Church. The Movement Fellowship Church. 
Counselor Tate's mission is to advocate finding improvements and solutions instead of replacements and bridging the gap between all neighborhoods in District 9. Tell me what it was like growing up when you grew up in North Birmingham. Oh, my. Um, fun times, you know, neighbors being neighbors. Everybody mm-hmm. knew everybody. Um, and, you know, people just having fun. You know, we we had our fun in, in, in neighborhoods. I mean, like, we, I grew up, like, a lot in my grandparents' house on 20th Avenue North. So that's like coming down Caraway Boulevard, like, I call it Norwood. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we knew everybody. I mean... We call Evergreen Bottom the Bottom, Drew Hill the Hill, Fountain Heights the Heights. So we just knew everybody. So, you know, everybody, you know, riding motorcycles, uh, you know, I thought I can do anything that a boy could do. I oh, so you grew up a tomboy. <laughs> tomboy, played football, skate, rode bikes, rode, you know, just, you know, just did some fun things. I know we grew up, of course, when we fought, we got in trouble. <laughs> and we you got was, in trouble. We got in trouble, yeah. Yeah. And we was back together, you know, the next day. We didn't, you know, we, we didn't do all the things that you're seeing people do now. Mm-hmm. Because we were neighbors and parents were, you know, everybody could pretty much tell, like, if you got in trouble, you they was gonna tell your mom on you. So, you know, I was bad. Like, <laughs> like I was, man, you got into it, huh? I got into it. Now you went to MacArthur? Mm-hmm. What? Where where exactly is that? MacArthur is right by Caraway Hospital, where the star is uh, the new Caraway development. That school, FD MacArthur. Gotcha. It's, it's MacArthur School. Okay, and now did you do anything in school like you know Man, band? I was athletic. I played volleyball. I ran track. I played basketball. I was a cheerleader. I was very athletic. Yes. Okay, and then very good track runner. Really? Yes. And then what about high school? High school was a big transition. That's when you get, you know, you f- really try to find out who you are. Then you yeah. start f- fading into the girly, girly world. So I was a marching Red Raider. I was on the flag corps. Really? Yes. I played basketball, too, and I ran track. Okay. Okay. And now when you graduated from high school, what was next? I always wanted to be a nurse. I always knew that we I wanted. We were just talking about yep, it. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to serve. Well, I, that was just a goal, to go to school, to be an RN, from there to be a nurse anesthetist. But I tell people, you can plan your life and God unplans. And so life dealt me a blow. And many people know my story. My son um, was arrested at 18, sent to prison at 19, and that changed my whole career mm-hmm. from nursing to criminal justice. Now, Let's back up a little bit. Um, you had him at a young age. I did. And you, but you stayed home with your mom, your grandparents. Mm-hmm. Everybody was a part of rearing your son. That structure, yes. And I was just blessed because I had, you know, mom worked at the post office. My grandfather retired from, you know, a Sipico pipe shop. My grandmother was a homemaker, but she also worked at the Eagles Cafe because she loved to cook. So if you ever read the story of when Mr. Rooker died, he referenced my grandmother, Mary Tate, in that article. 
That's oh, my grandmother. Really? Yes. yes, yes. And so when he acquired the cafe, my grandmother used to work for Mr. Owen. So one of the things that he promised her, him that not to change the name from Eagles. So he was working at a Sipico pipe shop at night. And so my he had built that relationship with my grandmother. And he would not trust anybody to run that cafe but my grandmother. Oh, wow. Yep. He talks about how that's how he learned how to cook. Wow. And so I was fortunate enough to go, even after having a child, graduating high school, even going down to Jacksonville State University and leaving my son behind Mm -hmm. in the care of my grandparents and my mom. Mm -hmm. And so he, you know, he had that nurturing. Right. And so he was very close to my mom and my grandparents, but he knew that I was his mother. Right. And now fast forward, you say when he went to jail, that changed your life. How? So that changed my career because, you know, being a a young man and being an African-American male, and it was during the time when Alabama, the court system was was a Republican court system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being a first-time offender, I was, you know, really was hoping that he would get some alternatives besides going to, you know, going to prison, but that did not happen. So. It was during those times that I did not really understand. I was angry with, you know, I I was just angry with God. You know, my faith was tested, and, you know, that's when everything, like, came to full bloom, um, and my whole career changed. So I went back to school, got in for criminal justice because I needed to learn. When I was in that courtroom and saw all of the people that were sitting in that courtroom was people that bared the same skin color that I had. I was like, it is something going on here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And flesh that out. You changed, and it took you to Florida. It did. Yep. After, and and you were telling me, what was that experience like? Well, after like? I graduated um, from college, I applied. I had several applications out. So Florida was like one of the first people that called me. And so they offered me that job. I moved to Enterprise, Alabama, where I worked in the Funiac Springs. So I tell people I, I lived in Alabama and drove to Florida. They was like, you drive to Florida every day? It's just like driving from here to Tuscaloosa because it's right. right there. You hear you hear the people talk about Florabama or Alabama. Florabama, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. It's like right there. So I was the only black female in that office. Like in the Funiac Springs and my colleague who Now let me tell you what's so funny. <laughs> when you first said you were in Florida, mm-hmm. my mind went to the bottom and I'm thinking you dealing with them jits. You know what I'm saying? And those crazy, you know, I mean three oh five, Miami, yeah, Tampa yeah. Bay, Hillsburg. But Duval you were County. dealing with a different level of I mean, both poor communities, mm-hmm. you know, but this wasn't what <laughs> I thought it was. What was it? What it were those people? It was a people? whole different breed. I mean, like 95% of my caseload were Caucasian people. And so being a black female, you know, in a rural white, white town, you really had to establish, like, who was the, you know, the person that was in charge. Mm-hmm. Because I did have some people that was disrespectful. They, they didn't care nothing about being on a probation. They were just like people that... You you supervise families of people that had their granddaddy had been on probation, they uncle had been on probation, they sister, they mom, like a whole family it was tree. Generational, generational crime. crime. Yeah. Yes, but the thing, you know, even doing that, you know, my colleagues did not even know that it was during those times. My son was sitting in the Alabama prison, so my perspective 
of treating people and humanizing people, even though they made a mistake, and seeing people that did the same type of crime that my son had had done was on probation. And so I could have took my pain and kind of like lashed out on people, but I didn't do that. Mm. And so I just always told the Lord God to just let me be able to make conscious decisions that was going to affect change in people's lives. Mm. And that's what I did because most people, when you talk about rural, you talk about drugs. I'm thinking methamphetamine was like just a real heavy, and I can't even yeah, imagine, yes, yeah. what it is now with this fentanyl. I'm sure that it's probably even worse than it was when I was there. But the meth, heroin, all of that stuff was just real, you know, just ruining people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we had, we had a judicial preference. Like our judge, we could look on the judicial preference to see, okay, what is it that I can do besides putting you? Because locking you up is not going to get you cured. Mm-hmm. So I need to get you in a rehab. And so we had the, the power to go back and, um, enhanced probation um, rules. Like if you was sentenced to probation but you did not have any drug treatment and then if you tested positive for drugs, I can write the judge back and add another condition to your mm-hmm. your supervision. So I kind of supervised. I supervised in that way, but I told I always would tell people, this is your baby, you birthed it, you got to either, you're going to take it to full term or it's going to be, it's on you. Mm-hmm. Ain't on me. I'm here to do a job. Right. And so at the end of the day, I'm going to do my job. Now, what made you decide to leave Florida and come back? Well, when I got into pro, when that career change happened, I was in my 40s. -hmm. Like, really. Like, I never desired to be in any form of law enforcement. enforcement. I always wanted to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I never, you know, in Florida... I worked with people that was way in their 60s, and they still was carrying guns and still working. So I never, ever wanted to even go. My goal was to do 10 years. That was it. Retire. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Six years. When I went and I was employed, at at year six, you were vested. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the morale started going down in the office. My coworker had retired because his, his, his father had got sick because he was from Tuskegee, so he was a black male. Okay. And his wife is the... Uh, current superintendent of the Macon County School Board. So they were from Tuskegee. So we were the two Alabama officers right. that would drive into Florida. I, my drive was shorter, but his drive was longer. Right. And so after his parents' uh, father got sick, he retired. He had about 23 years in. And the morale started going down in the office. I was like, it's time for me to go home. So okay. I actually left Enterprise, moved to Montgomery. So that made my drive longer. And so I was like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I went over there. I was already vested. I said, let me look at my money, <laughs> see what, what's going on over here. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I had a little nice little egg nest over there. I said, let, <coughs> let me dip. Yeah. And so it was time. Yeah. And I was in my ninth year, so I left um, in year nine. Okay. Yep. Let's back up. We, I got one. I got a couple of questions to ask. One is. What makes you so Birmingham? What makes me so Birmingham is, um, you know, my family, my roots, where I came mm-hmm. from. You know, my grandparents were some upstanding, you know, people. Um, my grandfather is from Starkville, Mississippi. My grandmother was from St. Louis. So she had family in Mississippi, and that's how her and my grandfather met. They always were people that were, they had, they were like, 
people that middle class people that you know like they they just was those type of people that raised their family yeah. on those good morals. And my grandfather uh, uh, family are the Conleys in in uh, Mississippi. They own like funeral homes. So he came from that. <laughs> You know that level of, of of people that were entrepreneurs. So my right. grandfather, you know, my grandmother had a store. My grandfather had a store. I mean, they they just were the old type of people. And then on my father's side, the Hatchers were out of Collegeville. You know, they were all. My auntie was a nurse. My grandmother was a, a professor. My grandfather, you know, these were educated people. Mm-hmm. Like my dad was in the military. My uncles were. Military uh, craftsmen. My one of my uncle Hatchet Appliance. He had Hatchet Appliance in Illinois City up until his death. Philip Hatchet Appliances. Mm-hmm. Um, you had my grandfather John Roy Hatcher, who started the Young Democrats in North Birmingham oh, back wow. in the day with uh, Fred Shuttlesworth. He had the only vaccine clinic that the people could get shots back in the day. My grandfather John Roy Hatcher started the first vaccine clinic in the North Birmingham area. Wow. And so my uncle, the late John Roy Hatchet III, followed his father's footsteps. They knew what they dad taught them. They were they were just a family on both sides that believed in helping marginalized communities and fighting for those that did not have a voice. And so my my uncle took that and he left, went in the Navy and moved to California where my and my father went to California as well. And so my uncle worked for the NAACP. He was just had a, he was like executive leader in the NAACP, ran the NAACP chapter in Ventura, California. And up until his death, his daughter and his wife is still running the chapter. She's the president of the chapter. But just recently, I will be going to California because Congresswoman Brownlee sponsored a bill, and they are naming a uh, post office in Oxnard after my uncle. Oh, uh, John wow. Roy Hatchard Post Office in Oxnard, California. Wow. For his work that he did. So he was known to be a negotiator. So he had people on both sides of the aisles that he worked with. So he left a great legacy back. And so that's where I get this from. You know, people think I just, you know, got into politics, you know, just popped up. It's been, I've been this silent person. I've been here all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been Birmingham. Yeah. You just, you, you, know, you just didn't know it. But right. people knew it. And so my brother, my late brother, uh, Demetrius Leon Hatchard, he was the first person to walk into politics. He was a city councilman in Camp Hill, Alabama, and he a sudden death at, in 2015 at the age of 44, and then he was the interim mayor of Camp Hill, you know, right up, you know, before he died. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been here yeah. all the time. So I'm just walking in, you know, the pathway that my ancestors set for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? I probably would not have had a child. Really? Nope. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Would have done that differently. I would have done that real differently. Mm-hmm. Seriously. You know, I love my son. I don't want people to, you know, take this, you know, that I'm, you know, saying that I don't of want course. kids, right. but I would have done that real differently. I mean, like, seriously. I probably would have... Um, Probably would have pursued nursing all the way to, to where I wanted to be in a net. This is I probably would have left Birmingham, probably would have went to D.C. somewhere, and probably would have been retired, like really, really retired and coming back to Alabama, like settling. So, yeah, having a child, you know, I probably would have had a child at a, at a later age. So mm-hmm. education-wise, I've superseded that. Mm-hmm. But I think my younger self, I would have had, you know, my child at a 
later age, but I love my boy now. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you on social media? And I'm going to tell you, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. For that, because you, you, I'm going to say this about the council in general. Everybody has stepped up letting the community know, see what you're doing on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And I love look, looking at your page and even the city council page covering <laughs> what y'all do. So anyway, tell tell people how they can follow you on social media. Well, of course, you can go to my personal uh, social media. just my name, Latonya Tate. Um, Instagram is my Instagram. My personal Instagram is not really vibing like I want to, but I, I'm going to be working on that. But it's the D nine. You can you can look on, under the D nine District nine D nine Latonya Tate. So you'll find me there, and also on uh, Instagram as well D nine Latonya Tate. And I'm twittering. I'm on Twitter. Um, <coughs> so Alabama Justice is on Twitter. We're on social media. The organization is on social media. So I'm out there. All yeah. Right. Let me get some water. We'll be right back. Citizens Trust Bank, in service to the community since 1921. Here at Citizens Trust Bank, we've built ourselves on your trust. Trust that comes from stability, solidarity, and being a good community partner. We're proud to serve the Magic City by helping you turn your financial goals into reality. Whether it's saving for your child's education, to buying that dream home or vehicle, to starting or building your business, CTB has been there and will continue to be here to be a trusted advisor for all of life's milestones. We welcome the opportunity to earn your business and to serve you in the best capacity possible. Visit us online at ctbconnect.com or visit us at our location at 1700 Third Avenue North. We are Citizens Trust Bank. The bank that has been here is currently here and will continue to be here to serve the community. What is your favorite charity right now? Oh, wow. My favorite charity would be... Anything that assists kids, um, like I, I do, I do a lot of um, giving to like formerly incarcerated organizations mm -hmm. that are ran by and led by formerly incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. So I definitely make sure I do my, you know, my giving over there because mm -hmm. I am directly impacted, and so um, I do, you know things over there to, you know, to kind of help out those that are incarcerated. We look out for the kids. like Name the organization so people can. Like different orgs, like Alabama Justice. I'm a part of the Formerly Incarcerated Convicted People's Movement. That's an organization that's ran by formerly incarcerated um, individuals that that houses a lot of organizations um, gotcha. that um, that's moving around in, you know, uh, the space. There's a lot of the people are uh, formerly incarcerated. A lot of the people have been to prison. Where they are top-notch thought leaders in social justice. Before we move on, I want to I want to talk about that for a second. We were talking about um, you made the comment that there are so many people out there mm -hmm. doing the work on the ground mm -hmm. that we never really know about. Yeah. You know, share some of those. Well, I, I'm a, I'm real good friends with with this brother. Um, he has a you know, I will stand stand down on his mentor program. But one of the brothers that I'm very proud of is a brother by the name of Milton King, who runs an organization called Determined to Be. Okay. 
And if you travel down First Avenue and look across the street from Krispy Kreme, you will see their house, the D2B house. It's, it's yeah. yellow and blue. Yeah. Milton King. So that is my dude. Uh, I mean, he is doing some great work with his mentor program. Those That that, that brother runs a top-notch mentor program. So don't sleep on Milton King. All right. Well, and, I, just, uh, I really like to talk about and lift up the 501c3s mm -hmm. that are out here. And we hear about a lot of the same ones over and over again. I'm glad I got somebody that's like, no, nah, you ain't heard of this, though, and you ain't heard of that. Because those are the people that need resources. Absolutely. Wow. And, and the ahead. thing what we say is, and this is a mantra that we use, you know, in the in, on a national level and in the space, is those that are closest to the problem are your solution solvers but furthest from the resources, you know, really. Furthest from the resources. And so, like you know, y'all have an organization that's right in here, Offender Alumni Association. Those mm -hmm. people are doing some great work. They really are. Uh, they were awarded the hospital-based violence um, pr uh, grant to, to, to render those services. But they also are, are, are violent interrupters. And they've mm -hmm. been gang-trained. And they are credible messengers. They've been trained. And so this is the thing that we really have to I'm – I'm being very intentional, um, making sure that those that are closer to the problem are the solution solvers and the people that are leading the work. You know, those we have to have those people leading the work. I'm not saying that people shouldn't, shouldn't be leading with those, but you, the work has to be led by people with lived experiences. They, it has let's to lead, be. And let's get right into it. We'll come back to the questions. Let's get right into these are some of the reasons I assume you ran for office. Like what what got you up and said, you know what? I'm finna do this. <laughs> well, let me let me back this this story up. Okay. It, it wasn't something that I, you know, woke up one morning and said, I gotta do this. It's it's actually I'm walking out of prophetic prophecy that was prophesied over mm. my years, about 20 years ago, over my life. Mm. And to be honest with you, I did not want to do this. I mean, I'm being real honest with you. I mean, I remember me and my brother having a conversation. I was coming out of the house because I got twin. I got brothers that are twins because I'm the only girl. And my brother said, you got to run for city council. I was like, man, you, I ain't got time, you know, to be doing all that. I said, I'm, I'm moving and grooving and running my organization and doing, you know, what I want to do. But even let me just take it back. Actually, I came out of retirement and got rehired with the department. Wow. And that door just closed. I mean, like literally closed because I had been gone for like a year. Okay. okay. And so what happens is it puts me where I have had to compete. Even though I was offered a job, somebody put a lateral transfer in that was already just planted. And it, so I was like, so my brother told me, he said, you got to run for city council. He's like, you got business that you got to take care of here in Birmingham and you got to do some work here. And he was like, once you do that, he said, you can move wherever you want to move. And I was like, man, I don't have time. And I really gave it some thought. I really prayed about it. And then I had to go back and think about what had been spoken over my life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, let, let me just go on, you know, and do this. And so. One of the things that I knew that I had to do because I'm directly impacted is make sure, I was like, we got to have people that, you know, that are in these seats that understands community. Right. Because you cannot govern 
or run, you know, or be a political figure if you're not being collectively and in, in, in including voices in the community. Right. I mean, I can think about a lot of things that I want to do in District 9, but I am very intentional on making sure that I'm talking to my constituents and letting them lead, you know, right. lead, lead. Like, what do you want to see? I could tell you what I want to see all day, but what is it that you want me to 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 be the voice for or champion or you know what what is it that you want to see? And so you know that's that's where my heart is, and and I know that you know being a part of the collective, they know that I believe in power building. They know I believe in moving collectively with with voices and centering the voices of those in the community. You can go back and look at council meetings. I'm always saying that we got to center the voices of people in community. It's super important. That is so important. Because you got to think about, I live in North Birmingham. I got people living in Pratt. I got people living in Wildman. I got people living in Dolomite, Sherman Heights, you know, Sipico, Finley. I don't live in these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I can be selfish and focus straight on North Birmingham, but mm-hmm. that's that's just not who I am. Yeah. Um, when you think about the fact that all right, not only are you on the city council, but you are the chairperson of the public safety committee, which is a first. Was it was that by design or by chance? And and Walker, tell us tell us seriously, um, you know, how you have been able to effectuate some change and and what you see coming down the line, what you're trying to do? Well, I think, you know, to be honest with you, my colleagues, you know, had we had conversation about it because one of the things that I told them straight up, I was like, I don't want to have nothing to do, you know, with, um, with it. And then I had to think about, you know, my experience, you know, like what I've been through as a mom, you know, even having a son that's incarcerated, making me directly impacted. And then, you know, being in law enforcement myself mm-hmm. and then just moving around on a national scale, uh, being around people that were formerly incarcerated, you know, listening to the stories of transformative justice, restorative justice, you know, how we we move as a collective. And so and it, it was just after that, it was just a no brainer. I'm a I'm a remind you of something Eric and um, I'm going to tell you something the first <clears throat> the first person we had here was Wardine mm-hmm. Alexander and I don't think it was on the show it was you know we were talking behind and I was asking her about the committee assignments and she was bragging <laughs> about you Okay. Yeah, oh she was really, I mean, really, it was right after you guys um, starting to organize, and she was just giddy at the perspectives to both two different sides. And, and we chatted about that coming in, like, you're in certain circles mm-hmm. that you have to be a little more sensitive because of their perspective as it relates to law enforcement. Talk about that. I mean, you know. I mean, you know, again. One side of you is hard, but one side of you is understanding. It really, really solid. Absolutely. I mean, you got to, you know, committing 10 years of my life, you know, to the brotherhood and the sisterhood, you know, my, you know I'm in a situation where, I, I mean, I get it. Yeah. 
you know, because these men and women are sacrificing their lives every day to protect and serve communities. And so that can go bad, you know, at the snap of the finger. Like, really, it could turn bad. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I got a great respect, you know, for the men and women that protect and serve because every day I had to think about my life. I mean, I'm working in a rural town. I'm a only black female. You know, most of the places that I had to travel in when I went to go do my home visit, they did not have roads. They were dirt roads. So I always had to figure out, like, when I like got to know where I was going, my environment. Like, if something goes wrong, how am I going to get out of here? Mm -hmm. You know, like, really. You know, I can give you an example of one winter in December where the, it was it was the due morning where I was doing my field visit, and it was kind of cool in Florida this particular morning. Mm -hmm. And so I went to go see a, dude, a guy that had just got on my caseload, way bigger than me. He was about 6'5". Oh, wow. I'm talking, he was a young cat. I mean, like, so again, you know, you got those that don't, hey, I'm here because this is what I've been forced to do, but, I, you know, I, you know, I ain't going to listen to nothing you say or I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. You know, he had this air about him. Right. And so I went, knocked on the door, and as I was coming off the porch, I slipped. And I fell. Like, literally, I, mm. I, I came down like three steps and fell. So immediately, you know, I got my gun on me. I am got I got my spray on me, my cuffs. You know, all on my my, right. my belt. Uh -huh. And so when I fell, it was just like, because I, I got this guy. I wasn't at work when he came, but he was put on my caseload, so I had to go do the home visit. And then my colleague told me, he's like, yeah, he got a little attitude, you know. like right. So when I fell, he came to try to assist me. So, of course, I'm thinking, like, I got to get on my strong side because I don't know. You what know, like, like I do? had to, like, literally put my hand on my gun and then he was like, ah, you, you okay? Let me help you up. And I was like, dude, uh-uh. I said, I got it. So I had to really kind of like yeah. use some judgment to make my way up and then call my supervisor and like, hey, I just fell. So I got respect, you know, mad respect, you know, for the men and the women that are out here leaving their families, mm -hmm. wondering, are you going to make it back or this could be my last chance? You know, I left home. Well, am I going to make it back? Yeah. But then you also understand the side of poor families mm -hmm. who are seeing their families in this terrible circle. Mm -hmm. um, I want you to say what you said when I asked you when we were sitting down. I said, what do you think is going on right now? And you were t talking about how um, this um, pain and trauma, generational trauma is is surfacing mm -hmm. and a lot of that is what we see. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I and I really wanna, you know, hone in on that that um it is a lot of generational trauma, but it starts at home. Mm -hmm. You know, it really starts in the house. And so I, I, I made this comment from the dads yesterday, like, you know, y'all are out here doing you putting yourself in these situations, like I'm going to use the exhibition driving. Mm. You're endangering lives. You're not thinking. And you're not going to be able to say, I made a mistake. You know, right. you, you're just not going to be able to say that. Because here's here here's what I'm what, what I said. You got to think. Your, your action is going to cause you some consequences that you are not ready for. And I told people, I traveled down this road. It is not a good feeling. 
when you got a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old going into an adult situation in a prison system with all type of personalities, you know, you're not ready for that. You're not built for that. You're not ready for that. So I get it. I understand. But I believe in accountability. You got to be held accountable for your actions. I believe in that. But also, we got to make these investments into these poor communities. And what are some of those investments? Well, I believe if you get you, if you create a, a plan and a pathway for people, and, and I think uh, the state of Alabama has done so by bringing the auto industries in here, and mm. then we got to make sure that we're sitting down with employers and seeing, are you a second-chance employer? You know, because the bottom line is this, what people don't realize is you can send these people off 20, 30 years. They're not going to be locked up forever. they coming back. they coming back to the same communities that they grew up in. Now, let me tell me what you think about this, mm-hmm. seriously, especially as we look at this um, worker shortage mm-hmm. that has evolved after the pandemic and was kind of headed that way before, but. A lot of these people don't want to work anymore, right? But the people who are on second chance, they have to work. Like, shouldn't we be changing those laws and making it easier? Or I won't say changing the laws, but our elected officials mm-hmm. have ha- need to have conversations with business owners because these people who need a second chance, they really... They got eyes on them. They have quotas to meet. They got to do their job. They got to have a job. I mean, why aren't we hiring these these people? And what what does recidivism look like right now here in Birmingham? Well, you know, when you have broken systems, uh, probation and parole, seriously, in the state of Alabama, is has plummeted. I mean, like, literally, they are not paroling anybody. And then when you have those that are out on parole and you have officers, like this is what I what I gave people a warning about. I said, let me let me let me just show people where we're heading, you know, with probation and parole. You're gonna get these young people that are coming out of college that have never ever experienced what a lot of these people have experienced, and they're going to um, supervise with a with a with a with an arm arm clad mm, fist, right? Right. And so the people are already fearful. So you putting all this pressure on somebody who wants to do right. And so it starts with the officer humanizing the individual. You know, people have made mistakes regardless of what they've done. They are still a human being. And so you have, and I, I've been, you know, in this in this setting, and nobody could tell me any different. But you have those officers that supervise people like they are still, you know, locked up in jails or prison, mm-hmm. and put this type of pressure on them. First, you got fees you got to try to pay, you got to try to get a job, you got to you keep a roof over your head. So you got all the weight of the world on your shoulder. And I just think, like our parole system, you know, it, it definitely needs to be revamped. And I think a lot of our officers need to go through, you know, some type of training when it comes to, you know, like humanizing individuals and making sure that you are giving them the resources that they need. And I think that's where probation needs to build, you know, partnerships with agencies that that offer like the wraparound services where they can. And I'm not saying that they're not doing that, 
But even the jobs, like you, I think most jobs need to be second chance employers. Because I, I think, really do. I mean, seriously, if you give a, somebody a job making $25 or $30 an hour, they ain't got time for no criminality. Right. They, they got insurance, they got a job, and they can take care of their family. Right. That's right. Seriously. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What's your favorite color? Pink. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Uh, my birthday. <laughs> when is your birthday? What sign are you? Aries, April the 13th. <laughs> Aries, okay. But seriously, though, I like um, I like Christmas. Okay. Um, <clears throat> What was your favorite cartoon growing up? Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Who is your favorite NBA team? Oh, man. The Lakers, Magic Johnson. Really? Yeah. I'm a Laker fan, too. Your favorite NFL team? Oh, man. I used to like the San Francisco Giants, Franco Harris, Jerry Rice, all them people, man. All right. Now, iPhone or Android? I have an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Regents Park or Rickwood Field? Hmm. Rickwood, historical. Okay. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Mm, I like botanical. All right. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? Um, I like the arena, Legacy Arena. Okay. Crossplex or Legion Field? Man, I'm Legion Field. Damn, damn. <laughs> That's what I'm ready to just go march, man. You got to think about like when we, when I was in high school, Magic City Classic, man, yeah. that was big. That was big. And the parade and le- then marching in Legion Field. Woo, if they, Wasn't course, nothing like it. Playing them football games and hitting that turf, man. Come on, <laughs> Legion Field. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? I like the Science Center. All right. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? I like Vulcan. They tell a story, history. All right. Barons or Squadron? Mm, I like the Squadrons. Legion or Stallions? I like the Stallions. (laughs) (laughs) Alabama or Auburn? Man, I'm War Eagle. Boom! <laughs> Boom! But I, 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 listen now, don't y'all, don't y'all penalize me because I bleed red because my niece graduated from Bama. All right. So I gotta, you know, my brother, you know, I gotta roll with it. State or A and M? A M A M U. Michael Jackson or Prince? Really? Yes. You were a Prince fan growing but up. But I like both of them. Right, 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 right. Now, what's what you got coming up? What give us a give us a, a glimpse of what the big first quarter of twenty twenty three looks like for you. Well the first quarter of twenty twenty three in my office looks like uh we're fixing to start doing public safety and community meetings on uh uh community safety. What does that mean? So that means listening to, you know, once again, you cannot have public safety without the without the public. Mm-hmm. And so it's the framework for the gun violence epidemic is already out here. If you don't understand the public health framework, 
it's no way that you can stop gun violence. You've mm. got to understand the framework. And so the Javi, which is the hospital-based violence initiative um, that we invested in, the OAA is leading it, that is one portion of it. Okay. And so you got Credible Messenger, which is a part of the framework. You got Violent Interrupters. You have the reentry wraparound services. And so you it's just a mixture of things that we got to sit in place so they all can be moving at the same time. Gotcha. And so one of the things that I'm very uh, proud of, I've worked with um, Uche Bean and Brandon Johnson. We've had a great uh, uh, relationship building with them, uh, just following the blueprint and all of the hard work that they put, you know, in with the mayor and uh reimagine what public safety was was all about. So they was just really glad to have somebody that understood and that was willing to, you know, come in and work with them. So one of the things that we did, and I got to give my uh, Commissioner Tyson uh, kudos because she partnered with me because you cannot do anything without data. And so we're going to be introducing uh, data, uh, justice data, governance, and audit with the Aspen Institute. So we're going to, we're going to be doing a, an initiative with the Aspen, Aspen Institute where they will be providing us, you know, the data that we need to start, like, shooting down into communities to see, like, how do we need to be making these investments. Absolutely. And so getting the community involved, you know, this this data project has really transformed communities, like, across the country, like in New York, like they're working with uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they are also doing the audit in uh, South Carolina. And Birmingham was a their third site that they chose to do this. So I'm grateful that I was able to make that investment along with the county with Commissioner Tyson. So that's going to be moving. And just, you know, we, we just broke ground um, in North Pratt. We're going to be building 65 new homes over there in uh, Shadowbrook. Right. And, I saw that. Yeah. And some more housing is going to be going up around one prep. Okay. Um, really working uh, to get, uh, you know, a grocery store over there in that area, cleaning up the neighborhoods, just being real intentional, making sure that we center the voices. I want to do some more youth stuff, uh, uh, work with Sinead to try to bring some um, good youth things to attract our young people back, you know, um, into uh, the rec centers yeah. and spend some time with them. You know, spend some time with them. You know, like working with Dr. Nadia Richardson, um, you know, I'm going to be reaching out to her about, you know, uh, getting with some mental health practitioners. And then going over in the centers, like, like let, let's talk mental health. So you'll start seeing, you know, some stuff like that. We're going to do the sneakers array again. And that was very, very um, informative. Uh, we uh, want to thank William Barnes, the Urban League. I want to thank Hibbs because we were able to provide 10 gift cards that were value at a hundred dollars, you know, for, for the kids that attended. So we're going to bloom that out, you know, more. And, um, we're going to do some great things in, in district nine. I want to thank Latanya and Tate <laughs> <laughs> for joining us. I want to thank you for listening. And as always a huge shout out to Creed 63, our 360 news, and urbanham.com. God bless. This podcast has been brought to you by Jefferson County Sheriff's Office.